This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now, the Boris Johnson show continues. The British Prime Minister yesterday faced the House of Commons on the morning that the Sue Gray report into the behaviour of Johnson and indeed other ministers and senior civil servants into the behaviour that they were engaged in whilst having issued laws on lockdown to the rest of the population. In Britain, it's a really shocking story in many ways. The lockdown was severe. People were handed fixed penalty notices, which were effectively crimes. One person was fined £10,000 for having six people in their house. Meanwhile, in Downing Street, there were numerous parties, some of them in which behaviour was really bad. And we're joined now by Chris Johns from London to discuss this. Chris, of course, former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland, now a respected commentator. Chris, the Boris Johnson show has been running for almost 25 years. And during that period of time, he has been involved in a series of scandals, some of them to do with his journalism, where he f- plagiarised and f- fictionalised a report from Brussels, some to do with his private life, which is not somewhere we would want to go. And in all of that, he appears to be able to survive things that others wouldn't. What do you make of yesterday and the Sue Gray report in particular, which was many people who don't like Johnson hoped would provide a smoking gun? Yes, well, there was no smoking gun, as, as you rightly say, Eamon. And the summary of the Sue Gray report that I have read and I've made some notes from, um, it, it smacks of uh, a watered-down version of events. If you were a conspiracy theorist, I'm not, you would say it was a whitewash, all part of the establishment cover-up that yeah. the Metropolitan Police um, some think have been involved in as well, because there are so many inconsistencies between, for example, people who are at a, a, the same event being fined or not fined, and and all of these sorts of things. So I do think that Sue Gray pulled her punches yesterday, didn't provide 
those of us who do not like Mr. Johnson and would like to see him gone with anything remotely resembling that, that smoking gun. It was a 37-page report that made for very torrid reading, actually. And I, I think the, the Financial Times today puts its overall conclusion very well, which is that, that the, the bond of trust between the elected and the electorate in the UK has now been broken. Because whatever you think about Johnson, whether whatever uh, side of him appeals to you or not, if you're one of the, even if you're one of the people that vote for him, there are very few people in the UK now who actually think that he hasn't lied to them, that he hasn't lied to Parliament about any of these issues, uh, but and therefore he shouldn't be there. Um, so trust that very important. Um, ephemeral, hard to measure, hard to gauge thing has gone, and so this this is a, an administration uh, I think that has lost the trust, as I say, of the British people, as the FT said. And the 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 the, the, the minutiae of this report couldn't have been more damning in many ways. And I I think that again, speak, from a, an overarching conclusion, the the disdain and the contempt with which these people hold all of us in Britain, um, yes. but both their colleagues in Parliament and the wider British people is there for all to see. Uh, you know, the, 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 the refrain, there, there were no parties um, and uh, nobody would, even if there were, we didn't know that they were going to, that they were parties. It, it's just, it, it's just one endless nonsense. But I think one of the things that could hurt them, and this may be motivated reasoning, reasoning on my part, because I think a lot of this deserves to hurt them. The one thing that really should hurt them is the very obvious disdain and contempt illustrated, described in the Sue Gray report, that these people from the top down, senior civil servants, senior politicians, staffers at number 10, their disdain and contempt that they showed towards security staff and cleaners, particularly yes. in, the way, in the wake of parties in which people had fights, in which people vomited, in which people poured wine, spilt wine over wallpaper and photocop piles of photocopier paper, the, the debris of a standard student-level party was there for all, all to be seen, and the people who were there to clean it all up were treated with something, uh, I think, resembling contempt. So, I, so yes, I, it's not going to damage him in the short term. The, the longer term is, is, is interesting, but there is a parliamentary standards inquiry now that starts next month, and uh, it, it perhaps, it's, it, I don't want to say in the same way everybody said, let's wait for Sue Gray, let's wait for the Parliamentary Standards Committee, um, I think that he's gotten away with it. Yes, he has. And just in reference to what you've described about the people who were in charge of security and the people who had to clean up after this mess, the party where that was perhaps worst exemplified was on the 18th of June 2020, at a time when British people were in lockdown, they couldn't go and see dying relatives except to stand outside windows and wave to them. Funerals had to be curtailed, weddings cancelled and all of that stuff. It was really quite severe, the British lockdown. And so the Deputy Cabinet Secretary, Helen McNamara, was leaving. She was the head of ethics. And for her leaving party in Downing Street, she brought a karaoke machine. The party lasted, according to Sue Gray, for a number of hours, and it was a raucous affair. And I'm quoting now, 
There was excessive alcohol consumption. One individual was sick. There was a minor altercation between two other individuals. This is, uh, this is remarkable because the party went on until 3 a.m. Another party went on until 4 a.m. These were the rule makers, but they were also, it's clear, and it's clear from the numbers, 83 people from Downing Street received 126 fines from the Metropolitan Police. Some of those people clearly more having more than one fine. But that was the epicentre of bad behaviour, reckless behaviour and criminality in Britain. No other street had that sort of culture. Yeah, that Sugray talks about 16 events, including the BYOB garden party, the birthday party, and the event that you just described, not all of which Johnson was at, um, and all of which contain people who are being fined. As I mentioned earlier, one of the discrepancies that I think is worthy of investigation is the fact that at some of these events, yeah. some of the people at them were fined, and some other people who weren't at the events weren't fined, including Johnson himself. He was at events and not being fined for, um, but other people were. So uh, there is a thing in the UK called the Good Law Project, which has launched a legal action trying to find out what on earth the Met was thinking and has the Met actually done its job. I suspect the British establishment, being what it is, will find ways to make sure that that uh, attempt by the Good Law Project is shut down, but uh, we, we can live in hope. The, the, the efforts now being made by uh, the Tory party itself and its friends in the tabloid and Daily Telegraph-type media are very, very clear. It's very orchestrated, it's very planned, it's very coordinated. And as an example of which I can tell you about Andrew Griffin, Griffith, actually, who is the MP for Arundel, and he is the recently appointed uh, director of the Number 10 Policy Institute. Uh, one of the changes that uh, Johnson was able to talk about yesterday about having uh, cleaned the stables, as it were. And the refrain, whether it's from this guy, Andrew Griffith, who now works for, for Johnson in Number 10, or whether it's the Daily Mail, or whether it's backbench MPs, or Johnson himself, is the same. It, Boris Johnson has apologised, lessons have been learnt, decisive action has already been taken, the independent review of Sue, Gray's, of Sue Gray has been published, and only one Boris Johnson offence has been found, and it's now time to turn the page and move on. And uh, the, the, everything that these people say contains at least one small or large lie, and the lie in that particular refrain is the idea that Sue Gray was independent. She's not, of course, she's a civil servant who works for Boris Johnson. Um, she works so the, the in number 12 Downing Street, actually. Beg your pardon? She works in number 12 Downing Street. Two doors yes, down. Yes, very, very, very close. Um, so th there's, uh, th there's a newspaper that you probably have never heard of, Amy, called the Northern Echo. I have heard of it. I spent some of my youth in the North. Yeah, well, um, as I say, there are two types of headline this morning. There's the one in the, you know, the Mail, the Express, the Sun, the Telegraph, which is time to move on. Or, or a variant on that theme. And the Northern Echo's headline today was, there is blood on your filthy, privileged hands. Yes. And so it couldn't be 
the divide in this country couldn't be put more starkly than that. Uh, the, there are those who think that we should move on, and there are those who are going to have some very long memories indeed. And I think that's the question, is whether or not people will actually remember this when the, the general election comes around. Yeah. And the, the awful bet that backbench Tories MPs are making is that memories will fade, that this won't be the salient issue that it is today. They would be, I think, sure of an election loss if the general election were held today. Um, but they're betting that Johnson is the man to lead them into the next one in a couple of years' time. Yes, and this old Etonian spiv delivered an 80-seat majority in the recent general election. Well, recent, it seems like he's been there forever. However, Chris, the need they have all the time when he's embroiled in these affairs is for a distraction. One of the distractions this morning is apparently Rishi Sunak is going to announce a 10 billion, 10 billion pounds rescue package to help to ease the cost of living crisis in the UK. And we can come to that in a moment. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June too is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Another distraction was identified by Richard Neal. Richard Neal is the chair of the Ways and Means Committee in the US Congress. That's the committee that has to sanction any trade deal. And he has been very vocal. He's in Belfast today. He was in London yesterday. And what he said, having met representatives of the British government, is that it is they who have manufactured a crisis 
to do with the Northern Protocol. He's seen through this. So announcing 10 billion windfall taxes, picking a fight and breaking international law in relation to the Northern Protocol, these are the kinds of things that are dreamt up, if you like, or invented to distract people from what some newspapers call things that don't really matter. But behaviour surely does really matter. And as we see in a COVID crisis, it matters an awful lot because a lot of Britain's decisions cost a lot of people's lives. Yes, and that's what the Northern Echo was referring to when it said that these people have blood on their hands. The situation with regards to the British government, I think, is is, is peculiar, um, if not unique, in that it is now a government without any ideas at all. Yes. Um, usually politicians have one or two. Um, governments always have to react to events. Harold Macmillan told us that. But this is now entirely, 100%, an event-driven government. It, it merely reacts to things that comes its way. And the entire government machine is designed to, A, cope with events as they are being delivered to them, and how those reactions that the government has to events are played out in the media. There, there's not, there is nothing else going on in Westminster at all. Um, there are no big ideas. There are no small ideas. The manifesto commitments, the big idea that they were presumably at least partly elected on, levelling up, that's out of the window, as are any of the other manifesto so-called ideas that they had. So this is, um, there are always elements of this present in any government, in any country, in any democracy, but I've never seen it quite so extreme. A government utterly, utterly bereft of ideas, and quite happy to be so, actually. There's no great clamour within the Conservative Party for the next idea, for the next strategy, if you like, or, or economic or social policy. It's about reacting. And Rishi Sunak's 10 billion today, and I have to tell you, Eamon, as an economist, 10 billion in the context of the UK's uh, public sector finances sounds like a lot of money. It isn't. Yeah. It's neither here nor there. It's relatively small beer. And it'll be all about smoke and mirrors. And in particular, it'll be about Sunak trying very hard not to give money to poor people via something called universal credit. Because he made that mistake during the pandemic and then found it next to impossible, almost impossible, to take away that temporary measure of giving money to poor people. You and I might think giving money to poor people is actually a good idea, but of course not for this particular government. The um, Northern Ireland Protocol, you and I have discussed that many times, it is just part of that media management yes. piece. It is an opportunity to do two things, to dominate the headlines with a row with the EU, which always plays to the Conservative audience very well. Anything to do with that is great. And the only idea that they have managed to deliver on after a fashion and not very well is Brexit. And so the, the, if, the, if they have a strategy for the next election, it's to fight it on the Brexit thing again, because it won them the last election, and it might as well win them the next kind of flies in the face of any known logic or, or reason in the sense that Brexit is now many years old and it was done a long time ago. But it's the only idea they've got, Eamon. And that plus media management is what the entirety of Whitehall and Westminster is devoted to day in, day out. That's how bankrupt intellectually these people are. Yeah. And that kind of brings me to the last point I'd make about these people. I had to chuckle 
when I read The Guardian describing Johnson as a consummate art dinner speaker yesterday. You and I have talked about that <laughs> in many different well, ways about these people. Yeah. But this, this Tory government is an example of the distinction between education and in intellect. Yes. Intellect broadly defined, intelligence in, the, in its traditional academic sense, but also emotional and also the, all the other ways. This is a bunch of over-educated people who've been sent off to places like Eton and Oxford and other you know, wonderful universities, educated to within an inch, in, inch of their lives, over-educated, if you like, and are revealing now their, their, their lack of intelligence. There are that you know, education is not a marker of intelligence, um, and lack of education is not a marker of lack of intelligence. And I think we are seeing ample evidence of this with these these hyper-educated people who treat us with contempt and are incapable of generating decent ideas for their own party, for their own party's salvation. Boris Johnson's survival today arises from two reasons. One is when Conservative MPs are asked in the tea rooms. Who would you like to replace him? They look at their feet yeah. um, because they, there's nobody in the frame since Sunak's um, awful uh, <laughs> three months that he's just just had. Jeremy Hunt is making an outside run um, with some very interesting comments about the Australian election results, actually, and that might be something you'd want to explore. But the the other reason why they don't they're not too bothered about Johnson staying in situ. As I say, they can't think of a replacement at the moment, so the better the devil you know, is that they're not at all worried about the Labour Party. Um, yesterday was notable that the Labour Party didn't lay a glove on Johnson. No, and uh, there's also the possibility that Sir Keir Starmer, the Labour Party leader, will have to resign because he is being investigated by Durham police for being present at a work gathering where alcohol was consumed as well as a curry. And he has said, and been forced to say actually by one of those newspapers, the Daily Mail, that if he gets a fixed penalty notice, he will resign. It would be the deepest of ironies if this rather sober and dull conformist was forced to resign while Boris marches on to greater success. The other factor here is Britain's place in the world now. The, they're fighting with the French, particularly. They've alienated the Biden administration seriously over the North of Ireland. And they appear to be almost friendless, with one exception, Chris, and it's an interesting exception, the Ukraine. They were the first European country to provide arms, and they have been robust in their condemnation of Putin, and they have been generous in the support that they've given to Ukrainians, which is an interesting paradox that you might explain to me. Well, I don't think I don't think it, it, there is an explanation really. It's not it's not a complex one. It's it's for for once they did the right thing, and just be just because. You and I discussed this awful administration, these awful people. I think the you know the hyper-educated old Etonian nitwits who hold the rest of us in contempt and disdain it doesn't yes. mean that occasionally they will act, stumble on doing the right thing. And uh, I think that doing the right thing for Ukraine, they need to be applauded for. Um, I, with my cyn cynical hat on, I would question some of the motivation for that. A distraction um, again. <laughs> 
yeah, it was a distraction, but it was also Ben Wallace and Liz Truss um, competing with each other to, to out-bellicose each, each other um, in this competition to succeed Johnson if and when he ever leaves office. Um, I suspect you and I will be leaving office before he does, Eamon, to be mm. honest. But it, it, the, the way in which the right wing of the Tory party wanted to um, be, they want to be anything other than European about this. And the moment there was a whiff that Europe was going to be slow, the UK was going to be quick. So yeah. we're in a world where whatever the EU does, the UK, at least the right wing of the conservative government, wants to do the opposite. And it helps that the United States has also been extremely generous with its aid for Ukraine, um, the most generous country in the world, by a long, by a long shot. Um, and that's the way it's played out, is that A, it was the right thing to do, B, it was anti it had the benefits, the, the, the nice to have, it being op it could be stand stood in contrast to what Europe was doing. It was standing shoulder to shoulder with the United States, which is what all of these backbenchers always seem to want to do. So it was, and, and um, this trust and uh, Ben Wallace, the defense secretary, it was a way to show their fangs, as it were, um, to their prospective electors on the backbenches of the Tory party, because both people fancy themselves, as I say, successors to Johnson. So credit where credit is due, but um, forgive me a little bit of cynicism about some of the motivation. There's also out this week, uh, completely overshadowed by the Partygate business, a report on how they handled their departure from Afghanistan. Dominic Raab was the foreign secretary at the time, and he refused to leave the beach in Greece where he was having his holiday and enjoying himself. And the head of the Foreign Office, the senior civil servant, he also refused to come back from holidays. The net result, this parliamentary inquiry has found, the net result was that tens of thousands of Afghans who had been helpful to the British were stranded, left there at the mercy of the Taliban, which is a truly shocking story that's been absolutely buried by this partygate business. Yeah, news management is everything, and provided you keep the deaths and um, awful things that have happened to thousands of Afghans in the wake of the British and the American departure, um, then it doesn't matter. I mean, th these are the people we're dealing with. Provided it's not in the headlines, it doesn't matter. Uh, and that, that's the, the cynical depths to which they, they have plumbed. Uh, I want to ask you another question about Sleaze. We know about the Tory MP. There's two by-elections coming up, one in Wakefield, which is in Yorkshire, I think, and one in Tiverton, which I know is in Devon. Both Tory seats, both seats vacancies caused by sex scandals. The one in Tiverton was because the member concerned was watching porn on his mobile phone in the Commons chamber. The other one was far more serious. It was sexual assault on a minor by the Tory who had the seat in Wakefield. He has had to resign and be thrown out of the party because he's gone to prison. So sleaze abounds, as well as all the incompetence and indeed misbehaviour by senior civil servants. Martin Reynolds, the boy who issued the invitations for the Bring Your Own Bottle Party, is now moved from his post as 
secretary to the prime minister, and he's moved to the foreign office, and he's rumoured to be heading for a nice ambassadorship. In time-honoured tradition of the British establishment, senior civil servants who failed um, are often given plum jobs in embassies in, in places like Paris and, and Washington and elsewhere. So nothing about that surprises me at all. Now, the, the question about the sleaze and these two by-elections and what they might tell us, and just to underline, the relevance to us here is these guys are causing terrible trouble in the North where there is no government at the moment because their allies, the DUP, won't go into government. So long as the headlines are that it's all about the EU being terrible people, terrible countries who are causing all of these problems, which is what the tabloids and Telegraph cooperate with, then the problems it's causing you in Ireland, they don't matter to these people. I keep emphasising the depth of their cynicism. In terms of how all of this plays with the electorate, the sleaze, the playing politics in Ireland, and all the rest of it. There's a really interesting article. I talked about um, Jeremy Hunt coming up on the outside in terms of any potential leadership campaign. He's written in The New Statesman this week, which, as you may or may not know, is a very liberal, lefty, centre-left, Labour-ish type publication. And he, most interestingly, says, look at the Australian elections. And the first thing to say about the Australian elections, of course, is that they were a surprise. It was the ousting of somebody not wholly unlike Johnson in a very unexpected way. And the guy that's replaced the Johnsonian figure in Australia, a guy called Albanese, is like Starmer, a guy who suffers from a terrible charisma deficit. So, you know, lack of charisma isn't necessarily electorally um, unappealing. But the thing about the lesson from Australia that Hunt is telling his conservative colleagues is that if you alienate the British and particularly the English middle classes, the suburban middle classes, who typically are socially liberal voters, you are doing so at your peril. Yeah. And I think that that is the, the, the fear that stalks the Conservative Party, which is, is that they have um, alienated the southern blue wall, and then the Tiverton election is going to be very instructive in that regard. The second thing that's going on is that there are all of the, there's an awful lot of chatter about implicit, secret, behind closed doors deals between Labour and the Lib Dems about the amount of campaigning yes. they'll do, um, that whether or not they actually will um, stand up candidates in particular constituencies. Because it remains the case that if the opposition parties in the UK could get their act together, they would muster 65% of the vote. Um, and I think that is that thought is um, worrying some conservative strategists. Yeah, I just want to finish, Chris, by acknowledging that there are people in the Tory party who are deeply offended. They may have been pushed to the edges of the party or indeed left politics and some did leave politics people like Dominic Grieve for example former Attorney General in the Commons yesterday when Johnson was making his apology he was addressed by Tobias Elwood who is a Conservative he's chair of the Commons Defence Committee and he already had called for Johnson to resign and he urged his party colleagues to act he said this is a damning report about the absence of leadership, focus and discipline in number 10, the one place where we expect to find those attributes in abundance. I have made my position 
very clear to the Prime Minister, he does not have my support. A question I humbly put to my colleagues is, are you willing, day in, day out, to defend this behaviour publicly? Can we continue to govern without distraction, given the erosion of trust of the British people? And can we win a general election on this trajectory? In a nutshell, that is the big question in British politics now, isn't it? Yeah, and the Conservative Party, by keeping Johnson in power, is betting that he will be able to win in the next general election because it will be sufficiently far down the road that people have forgotten about what has been happening over the last few days. But the points raised by Elwood are very good ones. And I think that there are people in the Conservative Party, like Elwood, who are very worried by all of this. But the fact is, since Gray published her report, which if you talk to any Conservative MP or indeed any Conservative activist over the last three, four, five, six months, they've said, wait for the Sue Gray report. Well, we waited and we waited like Godot. Yeah. It came, it went, and one additional Conservative MP has put his hand up to say that he has written a letter to the chair of the 1922 committee to say that he no longer has confidence. So the, 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 the very, very small tribe of decent Conservative MPs who want Johnson out has been added to by one individual, we think. I mean, it, sometimes they write in secret, but in terms of the publicity surrounding this process, we've had one extra MP say, I, I've had enough. Um, and I think that speaks volumes. Can I ask you a final question, Chris, about Britain? What's happening to Britain? What does the existence, survival and prosperity of this clown, this old Etonian clown, his survival. What does it say about Britain? We see even football... Well, it says a lot about it, the class even, system. Well, it's, yeah, but I mean, it's really beyond belief. I mean, we complain about our own government here, but it's inconceivable that Leo Varadkar or Michal Martin would behave or allow others around them to behave in this manner. It's simply inconceivable. I mean, they have all kinds of flaws, don't we all? But this seems Trumpian. It's institutionalized. This former reality TV star, this serial liar, and worse, how can they celebrate him, put up with him? And, and the clowns like Jacob Rees-Mogg and Nadine Doris, who wants to privatise Channel 4 and keeps giving her Netflix password to her friends and her family members, for God's sake. Is well, this... in, the, in the spirit of, of that comment I made about hyper-educated elitist twits, I'll use some Latin, res ipsa loquitur, which oh. is Latin for the thing speaks for itself. It's a term used by lawyers. When they, when they are presenting evidence that just right. speaks for itself. And I think that you have just presented the evidence for the prosecution that six months ago, in, in, it's not just about Ireland not contemplating something like this. If you'd said a year ago the events that were detailed in Sue Gray's reports would be made public, there wouldn't have been a single person in this country who would say that any prime minister could survive that. Yeah. So things, something has changed dramatically. That something, obviously, is Boris Johnson, his persona, his modus operandi, 
um, and the way he does things. And uh, as I say, the thing speaks for itself. It's a degradation of British public sector life that will seep into other areas of life yeah. in, in Britain. If law-breaking is countenanced from the very top, then God knows what the consequences of that are going to be. I fear I do know what those consequences will be, but I hope not. His old Etonian contemporary, David Cameron, and indeed his Oxford contemporary as well, described him as being like a greasy piglet who always slips out of your grasp. It's not a bad description, is it? It's pretty accurate, Eamon. It's, it's, it's um, certainly as good as anything I can come up with. Okay, Chris. We're very grateful to you for joining us. And whilst he may cause us trouble here with the Northern Protocol, he is keeping the rest of the Irish nation somewhat amused. We're grateful to Chris, of course, as always, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.